Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever, whatever time this is released on Monday, uh, March 14th. I'm your host, Diego Crespo, here at the Waffle Press Hangouts. We're going to hang out today. We have a fun guest. We're going to talk about filmmaking, writing, American Hostage, that new show you should be listening to because it's really good. And I'm not just saying that because we have uh, the writer of it here. But I also have my co-host, Universa. Gene, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Good to... Uh to be with you this yeah. uh, morning or afternoon yeah How, how's the hangover oh not too bad not too bad i'm just uh you know white claws so okay what time did you get home uh like two or something okay yeah i got home like at four because oh. of the time the time zone. Yeah. i was like oh shit i forgot it's <laughs> fine it's fine we're all good uh i don't think our guest has a hangover uh that is cameron carpenter how are you i'm doing well thanks guys for having me on mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've been trying to get you on forever, but you're like I'm too busy because I have to run Hollywood. And I was like, it's you know amazing what? that entire that entire sentence was such a lie. <laughs> no, no, I, you... I appreciated the commitment to it. No, well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, but no, you're a busy guy. Um, we've been how long have we known each other, Cameron? Like five years, six years. It's probably been five or six years. I think I believe I met you. I want to say 2016-ish, probably right. That sounds about so. right. Yeah. Like I think we were we met through Sean, probably. That sounds right. I moved here. I moved to LA in 2015 and I met Sean, I think briefly before that over Twitter. But then I don't think I got to meet you for a while, but I'm pretty sure it was through Sean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So cool guy. I miss him. I hope he's doing okay. But how are I, you, Cameron? Tell us about yourself. I'm fine. I'm tired. I'm sleepy. I've been doing some press for this show and I don't know uh, why people keep asking me questions about it. It's kind of out of my hands at this point. Kind of the show is what it is. Uh, I'm happy about it. I think it turned out pretty great. But um, I'm doing well. How have you guys been doing? Oh, we're doing we're doing good. We we talked about the Batman last week. I listened. Uh, I listened. Yeah. Did you like with, it? Can yeah, you I agreed it? with probably most of what everybody had to say about it. I yeah. was pretty much on board with with I think everybody's thoughts. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was good. I'm, I'm a fan of that Matt Reeves and I want him to keep making movies, Batman or otherwise. Um, Yeah. You know, we usually open up the show before we get into like conversations, like what else you've been watching, but has, is that like the only thing you've been watching recently? Uh, Last night I watched Turning Red, um, Mm -hmm. which I really enjoyed. I thought it was excellent, to be honest. I was, I, I wouldn't say that I didn't have like high hopes, but just Pixar in general, I think has kind of bummed me out a little bit um but i thought it was terrific so i highly recommend turning red um does a lot of stuff that pixar movies usually don't do like it, it commits to some ideas and stuff that i don't think pixar is really like really committed to in an interesting or cool way and and the animation was like was fantastic in a way where it wasn't just like photo real it's like interesting kind of like um it's not akin to into the spider verse but it has its own animation identity which i think is uh like a breath of fresh air so okay yeah that's interesting because like there's been some headlines about um the the disney branch overseeing certain developments of these studios and that doesn't like let off like let certain films that maybe don't work off the hook all the way through but it does maybe explain something so that's interesting that you you said that because i i was looking forward to it because i like luca um i what was on before that I didn't like that soul? one. Was it onward? No, you know what? Soul. I like soul. soul. Um, and then I, I wasn't crazy about onward. Ooh. You kind of won me over to like the ending camera. We had a good conversation about that. Um, and you know, but they're not like they haven't made me fall in love with them again, but people seem to really like this one. So, you know, yeah, I'm, I think I'm the last forward to that. The last one before this one that I like really loved was probably and I don't know if I even really loved it, but Incredibles 2, I just had a lot of respect for it. I really enjoyed it, even though I don't think it makes like any sense whatsoever. Uh, it's very episodic, but also not in a way like I would I would say the Batman's kind of episodic with the mystery mm-hmm. elements, but they all it, it leans into like itself very well. Like this, the, the narrative like connects yeah. very well and Incredibles 2 kind of doesn't. But that's a fun fucking movie. I don't know what people are talking about. Incredibles 2 is really fun. It's just like you're trying to parse just kind of what the fuck they're trying to say the whole time. You're like, wait, I okay, this is the villain. Why why are they the villain? Okay, they and what's the point they're trying to make? It doesn't, it seems like it doesn't have that much of an actual perspective, but it has a lot of conflict 
and, yeah. uh, and not in like the uh, kind of like, why don't you go mull this over on your own kind of way, but in rather a, uh, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing kind of way. Um, so the writing for that one, even though I think it is, I actually think it's funnier than the first Incredibles, but in terms of, I think the thematic potency is a little, uh, a little drier. Well, okay, so you let's talk about writing then. How did you get start writing? Because you're a screenwriter and you're a very good one. I, I've read a bunch of your stuff and it's upsetting because it's like, fuck, this guy's out there making shit and I gotta like, you're out, well, you're, you're like a bar setter in my, like, at least for me. And I'm like, if I can't live up to Cameron Carpenter, I should just end well, it all. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Um, I got started, uh, I started out like as an actor really like in high school and college and I was doing theater and I just kind of found that it was very limiting. The, uh, the idea of being an actor and only doing interpretive work was kind of getting a little frustrating, I think for me. Um, and of course, if you start out like writing for the theater, usually, you know, it's kind of like a TV world thing where what the writer says goes. So I was writing plays and I was collaborating with directors and, and actors um, in the theater space, which I really liked and enjoyed. Um, and then I got hired to be the head writer for a very, 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 very small independent animation company that worked mostly on YouTube. Um, and then they got bigger and began partnerships with like, uh, like DreamWorks TV and stuff like that. Um, and so for about like six years, I did that. I was their head writer, um, mostly focused on original animation and like video game parody animation. And we did some cool stuff. Um, we grew that channel. They had their own independent channel that we grew to like, I think they've got like 1.2 million subscribers now or something like that. Um, or they did when I left. Um, and then I got hired. But then I sold a feature to a production company um, called Static that was shot and produced in 2018, but has not been released yet for reasons I don't quite know. Um, there's a lot of internal drama with ourselves and kind of the studio that bought it. Um, the crew is pretty united and so is the cast on everybody thinks that the film is good, but there was some uh, executive level stuff that we we're not allowed to talk about uh, that's keeping it from being released. And then I got hired uh, by a production company based out of New York called Criminal Content. And I was hired by them at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, to do film and TV for them. And of course, they hired me to write a feature for them. And right as I like turned that feature in, the pandemic happened. And so they turned their entire operation to doing narrative podcasting. So then I pitched them a narrative podcast called American Hostage. And they said, OK, we'll do that. So then we did that. Uh, now it is out on uh, all podcast listening avenues, including um, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, which we are releasing episodes there week by week. And then the entire show has already been released on Amazon Music, um, if you feel like you want to go ahead and binge the entire show. So that is, uh, that's my, was that enough? Was that no, no that, was, that was good, because it lets us talk about American Hostage now, which I am listening to it weekly. I realize that I prefer my long form sure stories like on a weekly basis but uh you guys are like the skyrocketing in in the podcast charts didn't you you guys like pass like mark maron's podcast like we last did week pretty well so we're getting um we don't know Am of course amazon is like netflix and they don't share internal numbers but um you can check the the podcast chart ratings for apple podcasts and on apple which is kind of the main one apparently is what they're telling me i don't know um, we, we peaked on top charts of all podcasts. We peaked at seven, um, on our debut on last Tuesday, and now we're releasing it week by week. We released the first two episodes in one week. So we peaked at seven, uh, we're in the top, I think 20 right now. I think we're like number 12, but yeah, we're currently ahead of Mark Maron, Smartlist, um, Ben Shapiro, thank God. Jordan Peterson, so that, thank God. That's a win right there. Yeah, you're telling that's all that I mattered to me. I was like, <laughs> listen, I don't expect to get higher than whatever, but as long as we're better than them, we're, we're mm. but we're doing pretty well. Um, the reception of the show has been very positive. Um, we've been getting lots of positive reviews. 
and we're currently kind of in the midst of just doing some press for it now and uh, getting John Hamm to uh, do interviews and talk about the show, which is weird and surreal. So. Yeah, well, here, I'll, I'll run down the cast, and then I, mm-hmm. I want you to like, explain what it's about for people that don't know. But, okay, we've got John sure. Hamm, Dylan Baker, Carla Gugino, Joe Perino, Christina Bricado, uh, Becky Ann Baker, James, Andrew O'Connor. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty stacked cast and, like, a, a bunch more people. So how, do, how does that happen? How do – because, I mean, you, you, you wrote it, but you weren't, like, the driving force getting all these people on board, right? Is that correct? It, so it was kind of half and half. I mean, I had pitched the podcast to the company and I didn't have anybody like I, I was, we were really shooting for the stars, I think with our lead, like John Ann. And I didn't have John necessarily in mind for it. I, it was kind of just like a blank slate of being like, well, um, Sean Christensen, who is the director of the podcast and the uh, CEO of the company. Um, I was like, well, he'll probably want to, you know, stack the cast from that, uh, from the top down. But I did personally know Dylan Becky Baker and I knew Carly Gugino personally and I had reached out to them with the first four scripts and said you know I, I I'm not the money guy I can't commit to anything but if you guys were interested and you want to take a look at these scripts and you want to do the show with us you know we would find a way to pay you and they took a look at the scripts they said yes so they came on board first those three and then when once those three kind of got on board we really got started rolling where we started um, making offers for the lead roles. Um, and then one day I got a call from Sean who said that John Hamm's, John Hamm wanted to do it. I said, okay, I'll take John Hamm. Um, yeah, if you, if uh, you have to, you have yeah, to. Yeah, John oh, yeah, yeah. So. So, so John came in, the role that we were really kind of debating on figuring out um, was the role of Tony Caritzas, who's kind of the heart of the story. Um, American Hostage is a podcast based on a true story that happened in 1977 in which a uh, very angry, disgruntled man tied a shotgun around the neck of a banker and paraded him around the streets of Indianapolis and then um, basically hogtied him in his apartment for three days. And in that three-day period, he called a local newsman, Fred Heckman, played by John Hamm, essentially to air out his side of the story. And so our podcast is from the perspective of Fred Heckman, John Hamm's character, um, as he basically... Uh, tries to mediate this hostage situation and it's kind of uh, I, I had initially pitched the story as like three of my favorite movies combined where it's Dog Day Afternoon, Failsafe, and Network um, because in the real life story Tony Curtis ended up doing a live press conference on TV with uh, his hostage Dick Hall tied up to the shotgun basically ranting and raving and um, every uh, cable news network decided to air this live um and we kind of interrogate why the news was willing to uh you know put a situation so uh red hot on everyone's tv at the time and um yeah it's a pretty incredible story um and tony caritas ended up being played by an actor named joe perino who has been acting for years um i had seen him in things and uh, didn't know we had a connection with him he was one of sean's good friends um, he got his start in a movie called Sleepers with um, Brad Pitt, Robert De Niro, and like Dustin Hoffman, Kevin Bacon, like a stacked cast, um, where he was kind of like the lead role for like the kids version of that story. And then they do like the adult version of the story, like the adult timeline. Um, and then he was in The Sopranos and he just finished a run on um, Power. And uh, he fucking kills it. I think everybody in this show is great, but I think Joe specifically as Tony Caritzas is pretty um, pretty incredible and, and very vulnerable in a way that I, I think we're not used to seeing um, these angry kind of man with gun characters. So um, yeah, that's the cast. That's the story. Uh, we, we got really lucky. And, um, and I think Sean and our sound editing team did a really phenomenal job with the show. It, it's, uh, we mix real archival footage with kind of the acting and the dramatizations of it. And um, I don't know. I mean, Diego, you're listening to it. Do you like it? I mean, no, I do really like it. And like, I, I haven't listened to like a, a podcast series like this before because I'm, yeah, you know, I, I think I'm just, a, I'm, I'm getting grumpy and old. And I'm like, I'm not, I, I'm watching TV. Like, why would I listen to something I could watch on, on television? And I know there's no like live action version of this. This is just the only yeah. version of that. 
Um, but I found it really engaging. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. Like I would, I would probably tiptoe around it if I didn't find it super exciting. And like, I had never heard of this story before. And like what a lot of these, like, cause I have, I have a weird relationship to like a true crime documentary stuff. And you know, you're, you, you've adapted it for this, Mm -hmm. but I, I find it sometimes a little exploitative. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're, but you're, the series is like interrogating the very idea of that exploitation, and it's yes. it's like a perfect storm of like fact and the way you approach it through fiction. So I I find it really exciting, and uh, the performances are fucking killer. I could like, I, I mean, I love like John Ham John Ham's voice. He's got such like a commanding <laughs> voice, you know. I mean, yeah, that's why. Watched, yeah, that's why I watched Mad Men, even when I wasn't really watching dramas at first when that was airing. And I was like, office building show? What is this? And it's like, oh, fuck, it's like captivating. Holy shit. Yeah. And kind of kind of takes me back to that a little bit, too. Uh, you, you also mentioned, and I, I want Gene to hop in, too, a little True. bit. But, uh, Cam, you mentioned your, your favorite films. Uh, it's a lot of Sidney Lumet in there. Oh, I didn't it's all notice. Sidney Lumet. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, <laughs> what's your relationship to, to that director? Um. I was introduced to Sidney Lumet with Dog Day Afternoon. Um, well, I, I I think as a kid, I'd seen like The Wiz and I'd seen other movies of his, but didn't really associate them as like Lumet movies. And then when I was in high school, I saw Dog Day Afternoon and I was just like, holy shit. And I just kind of got on a Lumet kick from there. Um, my relationship with him is very interesting in that I think he's the greatest director of all time who also has like, 10 movies that are some of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> was it The Wiz? Is, uh, I, I like The Wiz, but uh-huh. I recognize that The Wiz is not like a, uh, I would not say a uh, fantastic <laughs> movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. I feel like we would end up talking about Lamette for literally hours. And oh, hours, we, and hours. We, we don't have to. I know because I mean, your, your Twitter handle, what is it right now? It's like, right now it's Lynette fan cam yeah so like yeah, yeah. you're you're clearly upset i mean if you're watching the youtube version which only a couple of you do thank you for that uh all our numbers come from spotify itunes and soundcloud but if you're on the youtube version you can see behind cameron right now There's dog day one. afternoon 12 angry men and then um it's a, it's a it's a fail safe poster but it's a french fail safe poster oh, okay i mean that's a that's a great poster and at the beginning of the pandemic when we were hanging out over zoom like this uh, you convinced me to also go on like a Sydney Lumetathon, and I was like, "All right, I'm gonna hit, hit yeah. all my blind spots." And I haven't hit all of them yet, but one of the ones I had seen for the first time was Failsafe, and mm. it's a very politically charged film. I, I think uh, he was a very politically charged artist, just in general. And that yes. film, like I saw that in like May of 2020, maybe June, July. Not a great time to watch a movie like that because I was like mm-hmm. angry the rest of the day. Yeah, uh, it was it was really upsetting, but it's so fucking good. And a yeah, lot of people compare it to um, Doctor Strange Love. I think it's yeah, very we were, similar. We were, we were talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Isn't it? Go ahead, isn't Gene. it the same book? I want to say, or because we were discussing, like, is it the same book, or is it like a book that's like similar? Both are based on. It, it's two different books, but there was a. I have to. I'm trying to remember the specific details of. So. There was at one point because they obviously were released in the same year. And yeah, it's the same subject matter. One's a one's a comedy satire, and the other one's like a straight drama thriller. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kubrick had like written a note to Lamette, basically mm-hmm. being like, "Do not release your movie." Like if there's like a, like, <laughs> he's kind of a dick about it. Yeah, um, he's uh he's known for his antics. For Stanley sure. yeah. Kubrick, really? I heard he was mm-hmm. great. Which great to work with which is a little strange because apparently they were like you know they were on good terms I think before and after but I think when that happened it was just you know a little bit nightmarish but um of course Strange Love came out first and got all the awards and I like Doctor Strange I think it's a great movie um I I do think I prefer Failsafe um some of the filmmaking in Failsafe is just like Jesus Christ and I think Failsafe has the best ending uh, in a movie it's my favorite movie ending like all time like I just think it's like good god you walk out of the movie you're like what the fuck um i won't spoil it for anyone who has not seen it but. yeah i i will not either but it was ridiculously upsetting like i hadn't had a visceral reaction to a movie like that yeah in in, in a while and there it's not that there are movies i prefer but it's just yeah. like it felt like an assault and um yeah some of the filmmaking i i think uh 
Devin Scott, one of the hosts of Film Formally, a podcast mm-hmm. I just started listening to as well, and cinematographer. Uh, I think he's a colorist too as well, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he always has like Twitter threads now about like filmmaking stuff and he was highlighting some of the sequences of yeah. Failsafe he, that were just spectacular. He and Will Ross have an episode on Failsafe. Um, and then they also invited me on the podcast to talk about Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which was Lamette's last film um so they do a, a lot of great analysis on that um anytime you have lament questions i'm more than happy to to try to and anytime you need like a, a movie recommendation i will not recommend stuff like family business which is maybe one of the worst movies i've ever seen in my life um but yeah um i think also a lot of people are um kind of like rediscovering lament i know that like no christopher nolan is like a huge lament advocate like he talks about lament a lot um Paul Thomas Anderson's a big Lamette guy Angelina Jolie is a big Lamette person um so they're out there it's and I think we're slowly kind of like he's like becoming a, a more um unearthed director which is mm-hmm. uh, awesome wish it happened 50 years ago um because yeah. uh, we would have a probably a somewhat different political climate in terms of like movies but um yeah, yeah I don't know I mean like you know, not to, to go back to fucking Batman again. It's pretty. It's a pretty good movie, so I, I don't feel bad bringing it up. But like, you know, uh, Matt Reeves mentioned like Prince of the City was inspiration, and yeah. especially for uh, a Gotham City police show that's evolved into something else. But actually, when he explained it, I thought it was super interesting. Um, and then I guess you had brought up to me that like Nolan mentioned Prince of the City was an inspiration for Batman Begins as well. Uh, so Nolan used a lot of Lamet stuff for his. Dark Knight trilogy. He uh, like the entire sequence of um, he used a lot of like Michael Mann and Sidney Lumet. He's a big fan of both, and he for like the Dark Knight, the interrogation sequence is like ripped straight out of the Lumet movie, The Offense, with Sean Connery. Um, and then he also for I believe he said for the like just the script blueprint for The Dark Knight Rises, he modeled it after Prince of the City. Prince of the City is um, I think it's a it's a great movie. Um, it's, it's also like Martin Scorsese's favorite Lamette film. Um, it's a movie that gets a lot of like, this is the real secret gem of, you know, Lamette stuff. And I think it's great. I would say though, that his best, like, uh, police indictment movie would probably be Q and A in terms of if it, it depends on the kind of the lens you want. But in when I heard Matt Reeves was like looking at Prince of the City for like the Gotham TV show, I was like, okay, that's like good, that's interesting. But, you know, the issue I think with when we talk about the police is A, it's systemic, but it's also, you know, it's racist, misogynist, it's xenophobic. I mean, it's it's everything wrapped in one. And I think that the best Lamette film that really targets those things is his uh, 1990 film Q&A, um, which has Nick Nolte and uh, Luis Guzman and Timothy Hutton. It is, um, it's got the worst score I've ever heard in a movie, like the worst soundtrack. It is so terrible. It's like a Ruben Blade soundtrack. Um, but the movie itself, I think is pretty, pretty tremendous and very like, it's kind of incredible to uh, hear the way these characters talk about race in that movie. You're just like, Jesus, they talk like this in like the nineties, like this was a thing in movies. And now it just kind of seems to have evaporated um, for the most part, I think. And it was like just a mainstream movie. I mean, it was just kind of like, where people were going to go see it two two o'clock on a Sunday. Um, so yeah, the, the, I think, I, I don't know, the movie landscape now is very strange and weird and I think a little diluted from what it could be. Um, yeah, well, so. let's, let's talk about that because I, I find that super interesting. I mean, Gene's, you and Gene are much more involved in the industry directly than I am, but like, like for me, like I, I just rewatched uh, Romeo Must Die, which is not like a masterpiece. That's but fun. I, I, like, I, think, that's a fun I love it. I love it so much. Um, uh, R.I.P. Aaliyah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a movie of, about an Asian and, and a Black lead falling in love, basically. Like, that's yeah. it's Romeo and Juliet in, in gangland America. But it, it's just, like, it just works. And it doesn't feel like, it didn't feel like a radical movie, like, when it came out, I guess. And now, rewatching it, I'm like, hey, this is, like, this is different. And it feels radical now compared to certain things that come out uh-huh. and, and why, why, why have we moved away from this? And it's not, again, it's not like a masterpiece. It is one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. but it's like the, the bar 
feels like it shifted so drastically uh, for the worse, you know, and I, I feel like we're getting less interesting perspectives on these things. So like, yeah. what, what is your like insight into that? If, if you've got anything to say about it. I don't know if it's necessarily insight. Um, and I'm sure this is something that you and Gina noticed too, but I mean, growing mm-hmm. up, cause we're all around the same age. I think that like we were introduced to a lot of, um, I'll just say, I'll just use the broad word diversity and, and different perspectives. I think in television shows um, without really thinking about it, like, I don't know what you all necessarily grew up watching, but I remember like even my kids content, I was watching a lot of like Keenan and Kel. I was mm-hmm. watching a lot of like Sister, Sister. I was watching like a lot of, you know, all that, or even shows like Power Rangers or whatever, where mm-hmm. they would have like, you know, they were all diverse casts, almost to like a tokenizing point where it's like, this is the, yeah. the Asian Power Ranger and here's the Black Power Ranger. I'm not um, sure if uh, anyone remembers the Puzzle Place ahead of its time. Oh, no. Was that no. a Nickelodeon show? What it was, was like a PBS Kids one. They're all like puppets. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. But it seemed like it was like those shows, like they didn't really, it didn't seem like people were reacting to those shows in a way where people were like, oh, these shows are quote unquote diverse or oh, they're not diverse uh-huh. enough or whatever. They just kind of existed. And we all just like accepted that. And I'm honestly not really sure it when the shift happened to where we then were like pinpointing it to the point where it's like, oh, well, this doesn't have this and this does have this. Um, I don't know. You'd have to have someone smarter and probably not white to. Well, no, but I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're a white devil, but I appreciate you like you know, for, for lack of a better word, you're, you're, you're a woke white devil, you know, like you, you at least have your finger like on the pulse and can recognize like, Hey, like maybe yeah, I, I don't need to talk about this. Like, you know, just like you, you, you have a, your head on your shoulders I, correctly. Well, what, what I would is. say sometimes I, I'm like, I, I recognize I don't need to talk about this. And then I do, which yeah. is the well, whitest thing. I think, <laughs> maybe like, maybe so, yeah, but I, uh, I think you, you tend not to step in shit during it you know you're, you're not going off on like tirades like you know i, I don't want to see these types of movies or anything like that you're, you're never sure i mean yeah, yeah. I, I don't know i think also we're in terms of like where the land cinematic landscape is now like there are just entire movie genres that are non-existent now they've just completely dried up and it's very sad um i sometimes struggle when i talk with people who you know everyone has their particular tastes on what they like in movies but I'm just kind of of the, of the case that like, there's no like bad genre of film. Like there's, there's a great film in every genre. Like mm. if you just look for it, um, which I'm sure is true of like, you know, music. I don't like heavy metal music, but that's not to say that there's not like amazing heavy metal music out there. Um, and I don't know. It, it has, it, it's been strange to be in this industry because I've done a lot of pitching. I've talked with like a lot of executives and I work with a lot of people like that. And it is sometimes like very, um, I don't know, it ends up feeling degrading pitching like a movie in a genre that doesn't exist anymore. Um, pitching like a rom-com or pitching a, uh, like a, a, a straight up comedy that's not like an improv based comedy or something. Like they just kind of look at you like, who would see that? And it's like, yeah. well, for a hundred years, everybody would go see that. Are you kidding? Um, so I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to pinpoint. I also think that people have a very weird idea of executives and how executives operate. Um, I was watching the new Matrix, which I enjoyed. I think people enjoyed it more than I did. I enjoyed it, um, but there was a lot of people talking about stuff like can you believe the executives let them talk about warner brothers in that way (laughs) and i guess my perspective with a lot of executives is there have been some that i don't like some that i love some that have been great and have been like you know very helpful in getting stuff made in the quote-unquote right way but a lot of executives like they will literally tar and feather themselves if it means getting you into a theater to watch a movie like they're it's not like a pride or an ego thing for an executive so anytime you see like movies where they're like can you believe that 30 rock or that 30 rock made fun of nbc for like 10 years or whatever blah blah blah. it's like of course i can't because like they will do anything for a hit that's just kind of how executives are because executives let me let me stop and let me just kind of put it this way because I'm, I'm a little bit of rant and a raver i apologize <laughs> for ranting and raving this way 
No, no, no. But, that, that's what this podcast is, by all means. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good place to uh, put that out there. Okay, now I have to remember what I was going to say because that's the bad thing. I said <laughs> well, here, um, let, let me yeah. let me what you think of that. I will say what you're saying makes sense because how many like attempts at like a reboot of like a family friendly property now involve like man the times are weird huh we need to like revamp this property in a smart and witty way you know like i think that's the next uh what's the chip and dale the rusty rangers yeah 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 it's like oh man the landscape's so weird one of them gets like instead of a a, plastic surgery plastic surgery thank you uh instead of plastic surgery they get cgi surgery to keep up with the times and it's like okay that's kind of funny but like that's like every approach to these things now that's like yeah. the only way and so what you're saying makes a lot of sense because if they're gonna keep like riffing on this stuff at some point the people signing the checks are, are in on the joke and they don't care they're not offended yeah as long as they it. get them as long as they get money i guess yeah I, I was talking to an executive basically taught me this lesson was um i had i had a pitch and i had a script that i was pitching to this executive i won't tell you i'll tell you where um and he'd read the script and we were discussing it and basically we had gotten down to it where i was like well do you want to do it because like ultimately if you don't want to do it who cares and he's like i don't want to do it and i was like well you said you love the script you we've been talking about the script for an hour like it sounds like you're really jazzed and hyped up about it and he's like it's a great script but i can't do it and here's why because if i pass this on to my higher up and he reads it and he says no to it after I pass it on. After I pass it on to him, he is then going to perceive me and my role as a film producer, like in a lesser kind of way. Basically, every executive that you pitch to, um, that is like their job. Their job is to say no a million times and yes like three times a year. And if you are not one of their three yeses, you're just going to get you know trashed. And because it's all about job security, they're going to say yes to you know the already established IP. So that's why we keep getting Batman and Spider-Man and Chippendale and Star Wars or whatever. And it's very frustrating. Um, there was a, uh, he started out as a talent agent and he became like a big producer, Mike Metapoy, who ended up producing like a shit ton of amazing films in the seventies, including Network and Rocky and all these other films. And he talks about how in the 1980s, basically that is when the banks kind of came in and started plopping bank executives into film executive roles. And that's kind of when that shift of gearing more towards um, blending family-friendly films and adult films together. That's when budgets started to get a little shorter. That's when PG-13 came out and was like a big, like a whole new demographic was built out of that. Um, So I would say if you have frustrations with kind of where cinema is at the moment, I think it's easy to blame Disney and Disney is part of the issue, I think, but a lot of it, you know, is fault of the eighties and Ronald Reagan. So yeah. Just like uh, current America. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So. No, I mean, I think that's, a, that's an interesting point too. And, and one, I think we can all agree with, it'd be weird if we didn't. Um, but I don't know that. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, the Disney thing I think is important too, because they're, they're making headlines for unfortunate reasons and, mm. Thankfully, even people within that company seem to be like, hey, no, this is like too too far. Like people yeah. are going to get hurt um, from these decisions. But it's like a, it's a systemic issue. And Disney does not control the government at this point in history. So like, you know, it's, it's in 20 years. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's inching closer. So I don't know Bob, Bob, uh, Bob, che- no, excuse me, Bob Iger is president. 20, 20 hey, he's, he's There's a good chance he's running. I, I would not be shocked if he ran soon um but yeah i don't know there's, there's a lot of systemic stuff with, with the not just the industry but the, the country and the world that makes makes it feel like a kind of a struggle to find like interesting stuff so you know there's a lot of like dead genres now like you're bringing up like mm-hmm. when's the last time you've seen just like a sturdy drama um i will say that you know the, the batman fucking batman everyone's gonna see batman but like i have a a relative who um who likes movies but not really interested in the stuff that's coming out right now like batman and so i kind of explained to her like well you know it's it's got elements of like a crime thriller and stuff like that and like she liked joker just because it wasn't an action movie you know what i mean and so maybe yeah no i'll tell her like i don't like that movie um but once you heard like oh yeah no it's there's like character drama 
in this Batman movie. There's not that much like action to like the back half. So he was like, oh, okay, I might check it out then. And yeah. so I think there's still people that want to see these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know how we get them back for the the theatrical releases, I guess, is all. And I guess that's just a, kind of yeah. a bummer. I don't know if I have a point. I just wanted to complain about that. I feel like people are willing to show up. I mean, part of it is the theatrical experience like is not like a great experience a lot of the time because of cell phones, because of weird people. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, um, sometimes the actual chain, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson likes to talk about how like the actual chains themselves just don't take care of the theatrical experience whatsoever, which I, I, I agree with to, to a certain point. Um, I mean, just speaking about like Batman, I think that the new Batman filmically um, in terms of technique and artistry, I thought was phenomenal. Um, in part, I think, I think why Batman is, is resonating with a lot of people and also creating a bit of a divide is that it's so committed to actual like imagery. Like it, it's not a film that is that it feels like it is um, shot and cut out of coverage or shot mm-hmm. and cut out. Of, like it's very intentful with where you need to be, where you need to be seeing images. Um, it's, it's just intentful about what the perspective of the audience and the characters and the camera is at all times. And I think that we're just kind of, because TV is now prestige TV and TV has become the new movies. It's now gone on the movie side where we're um, now shooting movies like we're shooting TV with TV production schedules and we're getting a lot of lazy filmmaking because of it. Um, So we're doing a lot of, you know, it it feels like every new MCU movie is shot like on three different lenses, the entire movie with like standard coverage and standard. And that's actually, we don't have to talk about Eternals, but (laughs) That, that was one of my big beefs with, with Eternals after you forced me at gunpoint to watch it. <laughs> I, um, I liked point. it a lot. The and I said, I think you might too. I was wrong. <laughs> That's you were all. wrong. But, but let me explain why. <laughs> this is why. It's because here's the thing. Like I, I heard you talk about it. I heard Matt talk about it. When you guys talk about the, the, like the themes and the ideas and things, I don't disagree with that. I think that that is there. But I think, and I think you guys also, you all know this, I think you agree with this as well, mm-hmm. is that films ideas are only potent really in the way that they are done outside of a story element, outside of a narrative element. Um, all those, those things are important. Like how something is shown and how something is done in a movie is like relevant to what those things are. And my issue I think with um, Eternals is that the filmmaking itself is, is identical to me in terms of cuts, in terms of coverage, in terms of like where and how they're shooting things, in terms of special effects hues, in terms of like what looks like assets that they pulled out of other movies. It, it's also similar to me that it's kind of like, well, then they're just kind of saying the things that make this movie different, but they're not actually like, I'm not actually engaging with it filmically. And so that's why I really struggled um, with that one particularly. And sometimes if it, if, because Eternals has headier ideas and if you are encountering headier ideas, you know, you really want the filmmaking to be like, oh, ma, 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 give it to me. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I don't know. So I, I, I struggle with that one. I mean, I mean, the MCU has movies that I enjoy and movies that I think do that well or better, but um, okay, I'm done. I'm done ranting about the. Uh, no, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I think we just end up doing that here. I think it's unavoidable because, you know, it, it, it's, the thing that op, like takes up most of the space in the zeitgeist right now. Like it's, it's yeah. impossible not to mm-hmm. even think about, even if you don't ever plan to watch another one ever again. Like it's yeah. just there right now. Um, I, I have a question for Gene as well. Yeah. Because Gene, you are an editor, correct? Uh, yeah, true. yeah. When you yeah. are editing and when you get the dailies come in or whatever and you're editing, mm-hmm. I mean, do you, do you begin to see specific patterns in the filmmaking um, through like the filmmakers themselves you're like even though even though the filmmakers are different do you see patterns in like oh this scene is shot just like this scene is shot and so i might just have to edit it in the same way because there's not much to work yeah. around or how do you feel about that yeah i mean I, I uh for a lot of like um coverage seems a you know you see a lot of patterns or similarities in uh part of the coverage from scene to scene so i think even maybe like subconsciously, I'm probably thinking that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because you're also just trying to uh, 
uh, you know, get it done and organized and put together in a certain amount of time. So, yeah. Would you, you say that a high, maybe the highest volume of, of clips that come in are like OTS conversation shots, basically? Um, yeah, I mean, I get a fair amount of that. Um, for so, yeah, for some of the films I've worked worked on or assistant edited, yeah, I would say a lot of uh, a lot of OTS for sure. Yeah, yeah, that drives me crazy. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, not, it's the all thing right. is, people aren't doing anything wrong when they do it. I think that it's just like a lot of how production models are built now in terms of how you get to set and how much time you have to shoot mm -hmm. and how much money you're given and stuff like that's just kind of how a lot of people end up shooting. Their yeah there's a lot of yeah that. i mean yeah the logistics of it you know because again you're trying to film like whole scenes you know within this period period of a day or something like that or if uh you know if you're working on something really low budget i don't know like a asylum movie we have like two hours or something to get like right. less than two hours who knows so yeah yeah and uh yeah and it's just and and older movies not this isn't to say older movies are always better because it's not mm -hmm. true but older movies, they they tended to just not have that be such a like a prevalent problem. Is that they just kind of I think widened the sphere of filmmaking where they would you know had different ideas on how to shoot even standard conversational scenes. Where it feels like now again with Marvel, it feels like there are like the action sequences which they you know have at the beginning and at the end of the first act and the second act and the third act or the third act is just the action sequence, and then everything in between is just like. OTS conversations yeah and it's and I'm just like man it's just so sad that's that's a lot of blockbusters in general man I think but um yeah I mean to, to that point too I, I think when people bring up like well older Hollywood kind of allowed even it wasn't perfect it was never like a perfect system where like the best artist was given the best tools like that's it was always a struggle I'm sure but you know like Francis Ford Coppola wouldn't have the run he did in the 70s now like you wouldn't go from the Godfather to Apocalypse Now, Godfather Part Two, and all that shit. And I, I think there's just a sadness to that because there's mm. so many talented people out there. I think yeah. like you and Gene, you know, like it's a struggle to to get stuff made on any level. <laughs> and it's like it's not that there aren't talented people working, and I, I always try to reiterate that too. It's just that a lot of people aren't given the opportunity to kind of show what they're capable of. Yeah. And unless you make like a, a Sundance movie, I yeah. think of. Uh, my, podcaster pal vice victus calls them cracker ass sundance movies and he's right <laughs> yeah. I mean, and hey there's there's great stuff out there you know mm -hmm. like uh coda i'll bring up coda because that's another another hot topic on filmtwitter.com it's a movie i enjoyed but people are like they have their knives out for it because it's just like a little movie and it's not very well made but it's sweet but it's, mm -hmm. it's I, I have not yeah. seen it yet so i can't no, i don't, yeah, I don't think neither. you'd like it <laughs> just, huh. I'm, I'm it's a cute little movie the world's ending i was like it made me laugh thumbs up yeah you know hmm. well and yeah, sometimes that's also okay too you know sometimes sure. we like movies that just aren't that well made i think another one um snake eyes which i would not recommend mm -hmm. you watch especially the Palma snake eyes no that, oh, that's the a great G. movie the gi joe one? the gi joe uh, one i was like oh, i yeah. enjoyed that uh it's not great but I didn't yeah. no you don't need to mm -hmm. you would you would definitely not like that yeah I, I didn't care for that to be honest with you snake eyes yeah it's fucking gi joe i'm not gonna defend it to the death i don't give yeah. a shit about gi joe well, what's I just interesting, like it wasn't steven summers didn't direct that one did he i mean i know that he directed the first two gi joe movies didn't he he directed the first gi joe john m chu directed the sequel with the rock oh, okay. which has like one really fun action sequence you can watch on yeah. youtube and that's all you need this one was direct directed by robert schwentke oh yeah the r.i.p.d guy yeah, but it was lensed by Bojan Bajeli. And oh. so, like, there are moments in that movie that look, like, incredible. Okay. It has, like, specified lighting. There's a yeah. great, like, color palette to it. And it's mm -hmm. just, like, imagine if they got, like, a real human being to direct it. Like, it would have been probably really good. And so well, I think it's... that's another thing I just want to say, too. Like, you can always feel, like, when a movie has the potential to be, like, be really great and fun. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, and then it's just like, this is missing that one thing. And in this case, it was the director. And, and a lot yeah, of person. times. Oh, go ahead, Gene. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I was just going to say an actual like person, you know. Yeah. Well, a lot of times, too. I mean, in like even Stephen Summers' case, I don't think Stephen Summers is like an amazing director, but I rewatched Van Helsing the other day, mm. which again, not an amazing movie, yeah. but a lot of fun. 
a lot and, of personality but, yeah yeah there's a lot of personality and just the filmmaking itself i mean like the the opening shot after the opening black and white sequence with frankenstein when he's when van housing is like going to like chase down hide um it like opens on an image of like the hide wanted poster or there like he takes down the poster he looks at it he moves uh and then the camera follows him moving it and then he like pulls down the poster and then you see London and like that one little shot which is like four seconds it's like not a shot that I feel like we see in blockbusters anymore and you look at it and you're like this is the easiest thing in the world to like you would think to be able to pull off and we're just not really like even doing that and I'm sure a lot of it is just it's just time and money mm -hmm. is that they don't want um to give time and money to these major productions anymore and it's really annoying it seems like everything is basically just about the the idea of a movie being made rather than the actual film. So I have not seen Spider-Man No Way Home yet, but I, but like, I'm sure that if you went into any room and said, we're gonna bring back Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire for the Spider-Man movie, like, boom, there's the money right there. The money's rolling <laughs> in. Like, it kind of doesn't matter at that point what the movie is. Like, you just, you did that and people are into it. And um, so I make a good, I don't know. I keep saying I'm not going to talk about Marvel. No, no, no. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about let's talk about other stuff. So, like, I, I, yeah. for the record, I'm also a big Van Helsing fan. Uh, Gene, did yeah, you have something? No, I loved uh, I love Van Helsing. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say that, but yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, pretty. Uh, I was psyched about to talk about Van Helsing. No, no, Van you Helsing. You talk about Van Helsing. It's, it's yeah. a lot of fun. It, it is a lot is. of fun. It's. I don't know. I, I feel like when they try to do the dark universe thing. Oh, it's like yeah. they kind of had the answer in the early they had 2000s, the blueprint. Yeah. and they just yeah. didn't capitalize on it. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Um, okay, but here, here's here's another thing because I know we only have you for for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. uh, dead genres. What what is like your go to genre? I know you, you're you're a fan of like many things. You you've written a lot of scripts of like various different genre capacities. But if you have like a touchstone or like a favorite one that you could spend like the next. 10 years of your life just writing this what would that be um probably probably mystery noir kind of i mean i love i love mystery noir i'm a big detective guy mm -hmm. i love colombo i love monk um i love uh, i love shane black's mysteries i love kiss kiss bang bang i like the nice guys um and i just really enjoy the structure of writing those kinds of things um that was in part why I enjoyed Batman so much. And the one thing that frustrated me about Batman was because of that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I love the mystery genre. The Last of Sheila is, I love Clue. Um, I was just going to mention that. What's the, uh, what's the A, B, or C for the endings? I think that I, my favorite ending is probably, so there's one with Miss Peacock, there's the one. I guess the one where all, all of like all of them kind of do one, and then mm. Mr. Green at the end gets to go home and sleep with his wife. I think that's just like one of the best ending lines of a movie where he's like, "I'm gonna go home and sleep with my wife," and then the movie just ends, and I'm like, "You're not gonna get better than that." <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, because it's Miss Scarlet is the first ending, and then it's Miss Peacock, and then it's the one with all of them. Or I can't mm -hmm. spoiler alert. Sorry. No, that's um, not, I mean, it's been like thirty years. Yeah, I wrote a spec of a new version of Clue, um, but I think the guys who wrote Deadpool are like doing the new one. Oh so, no! Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, and immediately Gene. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's a good summary of uh, yeah. my reaction. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, uh, I will and, say yeah. I mean, I like some of their stuff for sure. I mean, but I wouldn't want them doing Clue for some reason. Yeah, I think they're doing it with like I can't remember if they're doing it with. Jason Bateman and Ryan Reynolds, I think. Oh yeah, of course. They're, they're, yeah. they're attached. Yeah, so. they're uh, they're Ryan Reynolds' boys. They that's how they got him on the the Michael Bay movie, right? They, it was like a yeah. package deal with them. They have uh, points so. in his uh, vodka, or what does he have? I don't know. It's like that, oh, and then that yeah. that alien ripoff. Life. I'm all for alien ripoffs, but I was not a fan of that. I think they no. did that one too, and so yeah. they just they're sticking with them, you know. So, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, stick with your your tribe. I, I respect that. I don't like the movies, but I respect that um okay so so i guess last question then if we if we gotta let you go soon uh writing we talked about that you are also a director how often do you would you want to direct if you had to choose between writing and directing um 
is one your true love or do you just love both equally it changes depending on the subject matter it depends on the project i mean there are projects i mean you've been on a set that i've directed before i like to direct um i also like to give things i as a writer i like to see interpretive work from directors i think that i sometimes have an issue you know writers in hollywood especially film writers are not treated well by the studios in a way that's like infuriating um i'm not i'm not someone who believes that the writer's word is like gospel i think that you can change or writers or you should at least invite the writer in to collaborate and to make those changes with the director um but i love the idea of filmic interpretation which is what a director's job actually is i think a lot of people a director they only do two things they delegate positions and they interpret the work and that's what their their jobs are and um when you have that perspective you then realize that directing is just like a collaborative uh, process and i like giving scripts to people and seeing what they do with it um and i sometimes i ask i'm like hey like if you have an issue with the script let's talk about it but sometimes they just the way that they will come about a cinematic idea with the script is like interesting enough and even if i don't agree with it at the end of the day i think um that's part of what makes the process beautiful is that mm -hmm. somebody can have a different take on it of something that i've written and even if i come out walking even if i walk away being like man that kind of sucked like there are people out there who that resonated with even more like i didn't have the only perspective i didn't have the full perspective on it like it's it's a uh, it's always a malleable process um there are scripts of mine that i'm like very protective over where i'm like only i can direct this and only i want to do this um but i would say i think that the more for me personally that i get into that kind of mode the more limiting the projects become i think because and i think that even on set people can kind of feel the tenseness of me just trying to be the active controller of everything and i don't know if that's the way you need to be directing things so i would say my directing process is like an active learning process i don't know if i'm even any good at it at this point um i'm just trying to in certain delegations of my roles whether it be a writer or a producer or a writer i'm trying to figure out what's the best way to get this movie a fucking finished and then b watchable so um that's kind of where I stand on it. Hopefully I'll get better at all of it in the future, but uh, it, it's a little rough right now, so. Oh, you, you uh, could have yeah. fucking fooled me. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, yeah, time is on your side, so. I hope so. I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm that old yet. I, I, yeah. turn, I turn 30 next month, but. Happy oh. birthday. Yeah, happy early birthday. What do you Thank want for you. your birthday? What do I want for my birthday? Yeah. A nap? <laughs> that's that i can't that help you that but would be great all right yeah we'll we'll, we'll make so, that happen somehow somewhere perfect. uh gene anything else we want to bug cam about what we got him no i was just saying i uh, i really enjoyed the uh the podcast uh listened to the first two episodes and oh thank you yeah of course yeah was, uh yeah i was gonna ask what you thought on uh radio plays because uh it's just uh, interesting that all the I... uh, I go back and forth. I mean, here's the thing. I've written one now, so I don't want to be like a, like a dickwad that's like, oh, radio plays aren't that great until I wrote one. That's not true. Um, before I wrote this one, you know, I was trying to pitch ideas for our production company. And, and of course, there's Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Oh. And, <laughs> and one thing I was thinking of in my mind was I was like, well, why don't we try? There's been like a new radio play War of the Worlds with like a big, you know, all-star cast or whatever in years. Why don't we try to do that? So before I did that, I listened to like Orson Welles' War of the Worlds and like maybe like 15 minutes in, I was just like, nobody should ever try to like do this again. Like it's, oh. it's a, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, radio play. Yeah. Um, it convinced so many people that actual aliens were invaded. It's, it's, it is astonishingly well-made. It is absolutely like the, the performances are terrific. The writing is terrific. I mean, and it's also just so like, it's like as bare bones as you can possibly imagine it. And it's just so effective and visceral. Um, so, and I've listened to a few others, which I've enjoyed. Sometimes it's just, um, I don't know, you do a lot of heavy lifting. I think, I think if you, you've just got to be able to write realistic dialogue if you're doing radio plays. And I think that, um, I shouldn't say that because that's not actually true. You don't have to do, you don't have to write realistic dialogue. You have to write dialogue that is, perfectly in line in tone and key with the production that you're that you're doing so you can do high theatrical 
stuff and it worked and it works really well but I, I think that there's something in our brains as human beings that if we just if we're filling everything in with our imagination and we just have one element of it if it's just like the sound it kind of mm. can come off as like cheesy to our like we like if somebody says something and it's just expository dialogue we're just like uh bad writing because we're doing so much of the the heavy lifting um so sometimes that's still like an issue that I have that I'm still trying to get over but I do enjoy radio plays um I like having the challenge of writing something and not being able to see it um and uh, and we've got a few more down the pipe which I can't talk about specifically yet until we announce them but um we have another one that's been it's already been written and produced I was not the main writer on it I was a writer for like an episode or two and then I was kind of like a story editor on that one um and then we have some more that we're kind of like developing at the moment so we're gonna hopefully keep going especially if this one keeps doing well but yeah, i appreciate you guys awesome. listening i also listen to your podcast oh thanks diego hears me complain about uh his opinions all the time yeah no <laughs> so. no the the funniest one because it wasn't just you and i swear i'll let you go soon um after far from home the, the, the mm-hmm. retrospective where Matt and I were just like excited about cats the whole time and we're like yeah, we don't really like the movie whatever you and, and several other people personally messaged me like you guys didn't really talk about Spider-Man and I am proud to say that episode has aged gracefully because now yeah, no one likes a that blessing. movie yeah. yeah yeah no one likes the movie anymore thankfully um, I mean yeah. nerds do but like whatever you go outside uh, <laughs> all right so, so you got you got that coming out is there anything else you can kind of tease you got you got coming up um uh, we are working on a, uh, a, a little Western web series that you have been uh, on set for. Um, yeah. We are currently, we just finished shooting the third episode like about maybe a month and a half ago. Um, we're aiming for 10 episodes. We're probably going to do some more financing for it soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's really cool. Um, I'm the showrunner of that one. We have some cool writers on board. We have some really cool directors on board. Um, and uh it, so far it's shaping up pretty pretty swell i'm really enjoying making it and um diego you're always welcome on set gene you're always welcome on set you guys can oh thank you drop by and check everything out and if you want to do a little work we'll put you to work but um yeah that's probably the next that's like the thing that i can talk about that's probably going to be coming out in the next few months but um yeah look forward to uh seeing that and then have uh sam elliott say like what does this guy know oh, about? oh i'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to see what his sat what his rate is, his day rate is. <laughs> come on board and uh, I want to make this like, real western. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of like uh, lesbian cowboys in ours. So, oh no, uh, he's gonna we'll like he, flip uh, out. Yeah. Handles more weirdness. <laughs> no, no, um, it's it's a super fun set. Yeah, I'd love to stop by again and, and uh, lend a hand if I can and snap some more photos. I got a new nifty little camera. I'm I'm hankering to use more often. But uh, Cameron, thank you, my friend, for coming by and talking all your the, the world of Sydney Lumet and all the weird happenings in, in your life. It's very exciting. Thanks, I appreciate your friendship. Yeah. This was a blast. Where can people find you online? Um, if they must, I'm at Twitter at Lumet Fan Cam. Um, I, my account is currently private. Oh, yeah. Know. Sorry. Like, no, it's okay. It's, not, it's it, not a big deal. I just, okay. I, do people, I don't know if people need to hear my voice more. Um, I've also kind of just gotten into, I don't know, like I'm getting to this point now where, especially with the podcast, I'm sort of debating on how much I actually need to be on social media. Like I've been fortunate enough to have like stuff financed in terms of like artistic, you know, endeavors. And I'm starting to perceive that as like, well, then that means the artistic endeavors are my like argument. And so if people then are critiquing it or engaging with it like you know they get the final say on it like how they engage with it is kind of that so I don't need to maybe I need to not be on Twitter being like searching my podcast and seeing if people enjoy it or if they think it sucks and then being like well maybe you suck like that's just not Mm -hmm. I just don't want to get into that so (laughs) well you know I, I think you you've had a better relationship with it than most people recently because you're not on it all the time that alone yeah means you're taking steps for your betterment and i'm proud of you for hopefully that. i yeah. also just don't want to do it i don't know i have a lot of respect for critics i think critics are you know as an entity as a whole mm-hmm. critics i really like critics um i just have a lot of respect for what they do and i think that the uh, relationship between critics and art is built not necessarily out of hate but out of love and respect 
Um, and so I'm just trying to keep that mindset because there have been a few people who've obviously listened to the podcast and been like, what the fuck is this shit? This, this, this fucking shit sucks. These guys talking to me and I don't like that the way he talks to me. <laughs> um, and just kind of being like, eh, you know, however, however people feel is how they feel. You can't really change it. You, they, they let me make the show, so I can't complain really. Yeah, no, and and thank you for saying that. As a former uh, film critic, I guess now, um, it's it's fucking like hard. <laughs> That's why I'm not doing it anymore. I'm, yeah, I'm trying yeah, something else hard. harder, I guess, but or difficult in its own way. I'll say because like it's, it's there's like no fucking money in there. You got to mm-hmm. have a real love for movies and shit. And so many people work their ass off in the industry still, and they're they deserve a lot more credit. That's why I always try to highlight people like Richard Newby and a bunch of our other podcasting pals but yeah thank you so much again for coming on yeah. this was this was Thanks, fantastic man. uh gene Thanks, where can people find you yeah um you can find me on twitter and instagram gene9892 you can find me at the diego crespo check out the waffle press on twitter youtube soundcloud spotify itunes and patreon and get early access to the next retrospective probably we're, we're kind of like <laughs> going those off the cuff right now um okay. go check out the tough guys don't dance episode or you can hear Matt and I struggle to breathe as we explain the premise of that film. It's it's incredible. I'm I'm buying the Kino Lorber uh, 4K because holy shit, that movie. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We've been professionally unprofessional.